Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I am David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. This is our scripture study YouTube channel slash podcast. We move through the scriptures, talk about things we think you don't want to miss. Um, Jenny just told me the other day she likes when I start like that instead of starting with a joke. And I was like, <laughs> I don't start with jokes. <laughs> but welcome if it's your first time. We're wrapping up the Old Testament right now, and then um, we're moving on to the New Testament soon. This video is releasing the Monday after Thanksgiving, which means... Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Yeah, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Um, Merry Christmas. Even though Christmas started here at her house and Costco months ago. And um, Disneyland, for the record. Also, (laughs) Disneyland likes Christmas as much as me. Okay. I'm in such good company. Everyone loves Christmas. Okay, but I particularly love it. Yeah, okay, truth. Um, If we shared... um, what we're going to do with our Christmas lesson ahead of time. That's in the video that has Micah in it. And I already looked to see what else was in it. And now I've already forgotten, forgotten. who it was. Um, yeah. Oh, Jonah. Duh. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it was Jonah. Okay. Jonah and Micah lesson. If you go to that one at the very end, we talk about things that you might want to gather up to kind of do and be ready for the Christmas lesson. Because it's funner if you have like a bunch of objects gathered before yes. you watch that video. So and it's going to be so fun. We're going to be doing um, the Christmas episode. I can't wait for the Christmas episode, but it's because it reminds me of my childhood. But we're going to do the 12 symbols of Christmas from the Old Testament. We have such a fun guest coming. You're going to be so excited about the guest. And um, it's just going to be such a good Christmas experience. And a really good introduction to the New Testament. Yeah. So you can watch that video and enjoy it and love it when it comes out. Or if you want to kind of prepare for it a little bit or prepare for something you want to do at your house, go back to that Micah video and then... Start gathering all the objects. You're going to gather 12 little objects from around your house. You might need to buy a couple of things. They're tiny and you want to hop on right now to get them. It's in the newsletter. Yeah. It's in the newsletter. I was going to say all of them are easy on Amazon or Hobby Lobby probably sells yep. stuff like that too that yep. you could get for just a little lesson. Also, anybody who wants to get their New Testament study tools before the start of the new year, jump on that ASAP. They're there, but they're, they sell out and then restock and sell out. Best thing to do is just order it, even if it looks like it's sold out, and then you'll get it faster yep. that way. Um, okay, let's do the timeline. Oh, and I was going to say this real fast, this clarification. Okay. To answer everybody who's asking this question, this, the word a week is the one that has the names of Christ. Remember next year, there's going to be a name of Christ every week with every single lesson in the New Testament. This poster, this poster set is that word. It's the names of Christ. It's going to be so awesome because you'll be hanging those names in your house all year long. And then there's a place in the journal where you're going to be able to capture those and do a little bit of a name study with that name during the week. So by the end of 52 weeks, we will know Jesus just a little bit more than we know him right now. I'm so excited for that. Same, same. Okay, this is where the next two go. (laughs) 
think. Listen, like, it's getting so crazy that this is like, all sat on one of. Oh dear. It's so crazy that this is getting all filled up right now. Look at it. Yeah. I'm so proud of us, you guys. We read the whole Old Testament practically. Yeah. Okay, we're on week 50. Here they are right here. These two spots. Okay. It's, remind us where we are with all yeah. the people. Yeah, so the, this, the second half, after you pass the book of Chronicles, right, and you got all of these prophets, right, and they kind of came during a couple major seasons. Some prophets, like Elijah and Elisha, came right after the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom split. Then you have some prophets who came after the northern kingdom was gone, and they were preaching just to the southern kingdom. Then you and that have, would have been like Lehi, Jeremiah. Um, we've got Obadiah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk. All of these were gathered together trying to help the southern kingdom. Yeah. Then you have prophets who were in exile with the southern kingdom. Remember, they were taken away into Babylon. That's people like Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. They were in exile with them. And And I think it's fun to talk about this because when Lehi left, right here is when the Book of Mormon begins. And then when Babylon comes in, we're in 1 Nephi and 2 Nephi. I just was actually reading 1 Nephi 17 this week. And remember that one line when Laman and Lemuel are like, we could have still been in the land of our fathers and we might have been happy. Do you remember yeah. when they say that in <laughs> chapter 17 and you're like, uh, this, was, this was like lamentations is when they were having that conversation with Nephi. So it kind of gives you a little giggle if you know that's what's happening. And then um, as we're going through second Nephi, you've got Daniel in the lion's den and then you have this call to go back that starts happening in Jacob and Enos and Jerem. In that time of the Book of Mormon is when we're going to meet the two prophets that we're talking about today. Okay, so they are Zechariah and Haggai. And they're going to go right here in spots 50. And these are prophets that are preaching and are um, counseling and are speaking for the Lord when the people have returned back from exile. Remember, Persia takes over Babylon and sends them back into Jerusalem to rebuild uh, the temple, the walls. We, we read the storyline of that in Ezra and Nehemiah. These are the prophets who are among them during that time period. So that's where, that's where we're at in, in the history of them. And, and, and you remember they, um, Cyrus, I forgot his name for a second, King. right? King, King Cyrus. King Cyrus is the one who like started sending these people back and gave them the provisions and gave them the means and the freedom and the ability to go back into Jerusalem and to rebuild the city, particularly to rebuild the temple um, and to rebuild the people. They've, they've been in exile. It's almost like a second exodus again, right? They're, like they came out of Egypt and they sort of went, remember, straight to Mount Sinai when they came out of Egypt to kind of reestablish that relationship, that mm-hmm. covenant relationship with God and learn how do we live as covenant people? How do we live as your image bearers and your message bearer to the rest of the world? And then you kind of have a really similar thing happening in this time period. They come out of exile and they come back in, and the call from the Lord is to build a temple. Or in other words, whenever we talk about building a temple during these two prophets, 
We want you to think of that as the same as rebuilding or reestablishing that covenant relationship with the Lord. It's not about the stones that, or the actual edifice itself, but it is that they're, re, they're building Mount Sinai again, a place for them to reestablish that covenant relationship with them. So that's what's happening in these two books, Haggai and Zechariah. And I love that as we go into Haggai, Haggai is one of my favorite, um, probably, I think he might be my favorite of the book of 12 is Haggai. And one of the things I love the most is what his name means. And it means festive or festival. Um, I love that when he's born, like the Lord is like, oh, this is going to be the happiest time of the twelve is going to be this moment when they get to go back. Let's give him a super happy name. Don't let's, you love that? Yeah. Let's name him Christmas. Yes. That's, that's exactly <laughs> what it feels like. You can give him a good, he's not carrying a burden. He's not any of these things. And let's just skip ahead and say Zechariah's name means the Lord has remembered. So you love that these two prophets right near the end um, have to do with like a festival and the Lord remembering. And remember those 70 years that we talked about in Jeremiah, that they were going to build houses and plant and try and find peace in that captivity. This is going to be the finally like coming out of that place. And it's cool because you remember in every single one of the book of 12 and in Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they all like were almost, remember we saw this last time, like split personality where they're like, you have got to turn back to the Lord or you're going to be destroyed by your enemies. He's your only chance for protection, right? And he says, but you are going to be destroyed. It was prophesied. Like you are going into captivity. The city is going to be destroyed. But there was always this like glimmer of hope in every single one of those prophecies in, in all those prophets that said, but one day a remnant will return and the temple rebuilt, be rebuilt. And the glory of the Lord will come back to that place. So there always was that hope. And these chapters are one of the spots where we see that, where we see the fulfillment of those hopeful prophecies. And what's cool is Zechariah is going to spend a lot of time on the second coming of the Savior. Mm. And so we're actually going to kind of like, as a people, relive this history, yes, right? Again, and because he's talking to his people and to like our people. Because remember, I love to think I'm going to be here for the second coming. Let's just pretend. Yeah. Why should you not? Okay. So I love thinking for a second like, oh, I feel sometimes as if we live in that exile waiting for the promises to be fulfilled. You know? Yes. Like we're like, when is it actually going to happen? And yes. these two books are evidence that God does fulfill those hopeful promises. Yeah. And that he remembers. Yeah, right. Um, it's so interesting because there's one verse, and we'll find it somewhere where he talks about you've been prisoners of hope for so long, which is such an interesting phrase yeah. to me because on one hand, hope is empowering, but when you hope for such a long time uh, and they were in captivity that I love that he's like, there is going to be a realization of hope for you. Like there is going to be the day when all of those hopes come true, and this is the day. And I, I want to live in that day. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that day. It's well, so, it sounds so exciting. And another day I know you're fascinated by is the day of Haggai and Zechariah, which is this is the fulfillment of those promises. But something that's really powerful about this is 
Remember, right from the Garden of Eden, God called, he said, I will make Adam and Eve in my image. Now, that could mean you're going to look like me, and you're going to have fingers and toes and eyes and ears. And like a body, like, a real and life a body, body. Like I do. And that's great. That's true. That's true. But a, the ancient word for image is a statue. Or in other words, you know, when you look at a statue of somebody, you would say, you would look at that statue and say, that's Martin Luther King. That's um, Thomas Jefferson. Mm. I'm thinking Washington, D.C. right now. I'm like, I'm moving through all the monuments. <laughs> that's where I was, everybody in my mind. And you're like, that's not really them, but it's an image of them. It's a, it's a picture of them, right? It looks like them. And God calls Adam and Eve to be his image bearers in the world, to speak and to do and to act as if he would do. So in these chapters, this rebuilding and gathering together and reestablishing the covenant, he has people who are joining in the work with him. And so in this great work of restoration, he actually extends a, hand, a call for us to engage and be a part of that. And that's also what's happening in these books. And I love that it starts out, like Haggai does not start out with a celebration. It actually starts out with a prophet still trying to stir up the hearts of the people because it says Haggai, the prophet, comes and he comes to Zerubbabel and Joshua who we're going to meet uh, better in Zechariah. So we're going to wait until then. But those two names are going to become super important, Joshua and Zerubbabel. And um, he comes and he says, all the people are saying the time is not come, the time that the house should be built. Um, but he says, it, it actually is time. Um, you're spending so much time constructing your covered dwellings, and it's actually time to construct this house of the Lord. And there's a reason for it. There's a reason why you need it. And I love in verse 5 when he says to them, consider your ways right now. I, I just need you to stop what you're doing and consider your ways which in my mind is such a great um, phrase. Like it makes me want to stop right now and be like, okay, I also need to stop and figure out what is on my priority list right now that is higher than getting myself to the temple, than letting myself be covered by the temple. Like where on my ways does the temple fit? Well, or and, fall. and that was such an interesting phrase that you just used because that's what the phrase means, right? Sealed. How, what is, how do you pronounce that word? Paneled. Oh, whatever. That, that, yeah, that's the, it means a covering. Yeah, in yes. verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4, he's like, you're spending so much time in your covered houses, like making sure that you're covered financially, making sure that you're covered, you know, and, and From all the, the elements. Right, and all those different ways, which are important, but he says, but you're not spending any time focusing on being covered by the grace and power and strength of the mm -hmm. Lord, right? And I think that's really cool that they, they say that question, where they say that, it was like, the time has not yet come for this to happen. And you said, the Lord said, oh, actually it is. Yeah, it is time. And I love when he says this in verse six, let me explain to you what your life looks like right now. And see if this looks like your life. He says, you have so much, but you're bringing in little. You eat but you don't have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but nobody's warm. And everyone who's earning wages earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Like every, they're just not 
fulfilled. He tries to use so many images to say, this is the reality of your life. You're not fulfilled right now. There's, there's holes in your life. I could fill you. Like I could make you full, complete. Yeah. You know? And I love that like that verse right there, six is bookended by that yeah. invitation Again. of, so just, I would just invite you to consider your ways. Like I feel like in my life, there are not enough vacations and there are not enough like things to buy and there are not enough secure securities financially that could fill me and satisfy me like there is something missing if i don't have god yes. in his grace and promises and it seems like that's what he's saying in verse 6 like you'll always feel a little bit unsatisfied. Yeah. And I love when he says to them, you looked for much and it came to little, which I I really do think that's true. It's like this a little bit. You know how, I don't want to ruin Christmas for anyone, but you know how sometimes on Christmas you wake up and in the morning you have all this anticipation. Like this happened when I was in like my 13, 14 year old years. We would go down. I was so excited. We would open up everything. The wrapping paper would be all over the floor. And then there was that moment when you were like, is that it? You know, it's <laughs> yeah. over. Is it like that's that was Christmas. That there was just that moment of like your anticipation can't meet up or your expectation can't meet up with the reality of your life. And for me, that reality wasn't met again until I had my own kids. Mm. And then Christmas became so magical again at that time. And I love that he just calls out sometimes. Life won't be fulfilling to you. Sometimes life will feel empty. Your friendships might feel empty. Your, the job you're working in might feel empty. You might not feel like you have enough anywhere that you're you're left wanting in all of the spaces in your life. I feel like that's what he's describing in that moment. And and the solution then it is going to for some reason be the temple. What we like to think of is actually going to be the relationship, this covenant relationship. And I love when he points out, you're missing this in verse 10. He says, the heaven over you is stayed from dew. And do you remember when we talked about this earlier? We've talked about it several times, the dews of Carmel. Um, it's mentioned in the Doctrine and Covenants in section 128.19. It tells you, as the dews of Carmel, so shall knowledge descend upon you. And um, if you don't know what Mount Carmel is, then that verse means nothing to you. But if you've ever been to, um, I was just going to say Disneyland, <laughs> which is almost Similar. the same. If you've ever been to Jerusalem in the fall, one thing that you'll notice is it is a desert. It is totally dry. It's brown, except for Mount Carmel. And where Mount Carmel is, it's situated in such a way that when um, the moisture comes from uh, the Mediterranean Sea, it kind of hovers right over that mountain, over Mount Carmel, and dew falls on that mountain enough times a year that that one mountain range stays green all year round. And everybody knows who lives there. It's this phenomenon. It's so weird that everything else is brown except for Carmel. B 
because of these dues that come. And in DNC 128, it talks about how if you will go to the temple, then just like the dues of Carmel, this knowledge will descend upon you. And I, I love that thought that it's whenever you need it, every time you need it, that inspiration will come. That's the gift of covenant relationship. That's the gift that comes as we live and renew that relationship in the walls of the temple on a regular basis. And he says to them, because you don't have the temple, therefore, in verse 10, the heaven over you is stayed from dew. And I think that's so interesting that he's like, maybe that want that is in you, maybe that lack, that feeling of not enough is because the relationship is not deep enough for you to be, to be receiving that constant touch point, you know, that yeah. do, that inspiration, that thing that would fill you if you just could enter back into covenant relationship again. And not just fill you, but also give life to all the other priorities that you have. Like I, he's not saying live homeless and don't, you know, do all of these different things, but he says, the problem is your order of your priorities. All of these should be priorities, but the yeah. order of them is, is a little bit out. Let the strength of that relationship fuel every other part of your life. It's, don't, he's not saying go be a monk in the mountains, you yes. know, but like let that covenant relationship fuel all the other ambitions, all the other dreams that you have, all of the work that you're doing, all of your other relationships that you have, also, and so he calls them to go up in verse eight to the mountain, bring wood and start building that house. Or every time it says that, replace it. Start building that relationship, mm. that covenant relationship with him. And as you were talking about one of those benefits of that covenant relationship is that bit by bit revelation mm -hmm. that just kind of distills upon you. I also feel like Within the walls of the temple, we learn how to live out covenant relationship. We learn that it requires sacrifice. We learn that part of covenant relationship is obedience. We learn yeah. that it's consecration to like yep. and loyalty, loyalty, and and also like to you know to um the, to live the law of the gospel, which is to lift and love other people. It's funny that you said Christmas didn't become magical again until you started living the law of the gospel, like in giving. Mm -hmm. Right, and providing and sacrificing for other people. That's what brought its yeah, the magic, magic back. back. And when you were 14, you were like, it was all about what am I going to get, you know, from, from this. Yeah, from this. And that's why it lost its savor. And the Lord would have come in and said, Oh, do you want Christmas to have its magic again? He's like, Live these principles, live this yeah. order of, follow this order of living, and it will, and it will bring it back. You. And I love that there is a moment where they're like, um, in verse nine, but the glory of this house will never be as great as the former house. Like even if we rebuild this, it will never be what it was. And I love that the Lord is like, once you get in there and start um, realizing what's happening there, you'll realize what David said. The magic is not in the stones. It's not in the edifice. The magic is in the relationship doesn't matter what the front of the temple looks like. It matters what's happening inside. And you, and both. Yeah, inside of you yeah, yeah. and inside of <laughs> yeah. the temple, right. yes, which is so good. And 
I love the promise that he gives. And actually, before we give that promise, it would be fun to just talk for a minute. The conference talks we're going to um, reference today, there's two of them. One of them is Elder Bednar's talk, but the other one is the very last um, little bit of conference that took place right at the very end. It was um, President Nelson. And you know what it is. It's when he's going to announce all the temples, which is one of my favorite parts of conference, because why does he look like Santa Claus in that moment every single time? <laughs> his eyes just get this little twinkle, and you know he's as excited as we all are to find out. And um, I think it's so interesting to realize that President Nelson is Haggai in this moment, that he's like, we are building places for you to go in and receive covenant relationship. And there were a couple places I love when he talked about um, that he said, um, it is significant that the Savior chose to appear to the people at the temple. It is his house. It is filled with his power. Let us never lose sight of what the Lord is doing for us now. He is making his temples more accessible. He is accelerating the pace at which we are building temples. He is increasing our ability to actually help gather Israel. And then I love this line. He is also making it easier for each of us to become spiritually refined. I promise that increased time in the temple will bless your life in ways nothing else can. And I love when, I love that thought about within those walls, we become spiritually refined. Like a change starts taking place inside of us every time we go in there. And I love when he says... And, and pause, and I would say, and tie that back to what we said earlier, that as we become more refined, we become better at gathering people. We mm. become better image bearers of... We, we fulfill that commission yes. from the Garden of Eden better. Yes, which is so good. And I love when he's like, we are planning to build multiple temples in cities that are super busy, where it's hard for people to get to them. That's how passionate we are about this work. And then at the very end, this is the part I feel like is such a great match. Because remember, Haggai was like, consider your ways and figure out how to make this a priority in your life right now. What would you need to do? And I love that President Nelson says, my dear brothers and sisters, may you focus on the temple in ways you never have before. Mm. I bless you to grow closer to God and Jesus Christ every day. <clears throat> and I love that thought that he's trying to focus us back on um, that. Consider your ways. Figure out how to get yourself more involved in that covenant relationship. What's that actually going to look like for you right now? And um, I love that he, he talks, Haggai talks about this. He says this in verse 18, consider now from this day and forward. Um, You're in chapter two. Now. I'm in chapter two now, verse 18. Consider now from this day, from where we are right now and upward or forward from the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider it. And I love that he's like, well, I want you to just look at your life. Once we started to build the temple, once we started to build that covenant relationship compared to what your life was like before, consider it, he says. 
Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, and as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree have not brought forth, but from this day I will bless you. And I just love that thought that he's like, as soon as you enter into covenant relationship, this is what your expectation can be. I will bless you. Um, those four things that he mentions right there, that vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree were the four crops that were essential to the life of the people. That's what he lists for them. They would have known. Those are our four most important crops in the harvest time of the year. And I love that he's like, you, you pick your four most important places in your life right now. I will bless you there. That's where I will bless you. And it makes me want to sit down and be like, okay, here's the four most important places in my life right now. So I'm, I'm going to lay those out right now and I'm going to consider my ways and I'm going to figure out how to, to get into deeper covenant relationship with him. I'm going to get to the temple. I'm going to let that be my covering and where my inspiration comes from. And I'm going to watch those four things and I'm going to see the blessings that come there. And, and I, I remember a couple years ago, Elder Bednar gave a talk about the windows of heaven opening. Mm. And I love that he mentioned uh, several other ways to see the windows of heaven opening other than that check that shows up in the mail. Yeah. You know, you hear that yes. talk sometimes. Yes. And it's like, he was like, but he said, like, I, I would invite you to consider other ways that those blessings come. So when you participate in this exercise, I would Put yourself in that mindset mm. of, did I receive extra strength to deal with the problem? Did I receive additional answer, answers and insight yeah. um, for this? Was was there, you know, like, but I think I love that verse 15 that says, now I pray you consider from this day and upward. I like that it's like, mm. not just from this day forward, but this day upward. You're going to watch, again, these other areas of life, the vine and the pomegranate and the olive tree and the fig, whatever the other was. I can't remember. Right? Pomegranate. Well, well I said that in oh. there. I love pomegranate. Okay. <laughs> um, these four areas of your life, um, they're important and, and you need them. But start, begin with this covenant mm -hmm. relationship and see what, if it doesn't fuel those other parts of your life also. And and I like that when they're in this chapter, that if someone has been building their own houses and they've been focusing on other things, I love that the Lord approaches it in this chapter and just says, great, awesome. I know that that's how things were. And it was like money and empty bags. Good. But from the very day you lay, lay that stone, um, you're going to start seeing a, a spark come back into everything. In, in your life. And, and it doesn't matter what things used to be like. All throughout that chapter two, there's, there's phrases that are like that. For example, this, verse three, who is left among you? I love that he's just like, you just focus on whatever's left, yeah. you know? Um, I like that verse four says, yet now be strong, for I am with you. Okay, awesome. Yesterday, maybe it wasn't, but how about yet now be strong? Like just start today. Or this one's one of my favorites in verse 7 where he says, 
I will shake all the nations and the desire. Oh, mm-hmm. hold I on. I forgot that's my favorite name of Jesus. So I'm going to come back to that. Um, he is, well, no, I'll just do it right now. And he says, and the desire of all nations shall come. I love that, that name of Jesus Christ, that he's the desire of all nations. He's what you actually need. He's what you are actually hoping for. He's, he is the answer to the prayers that you've been praying. Like he is the desire of all nations, wherever it is that you are. And he will come. And when he comes, he says, I will fill this house with glory. Like your house, your life, your story. Not the one you thought it should have been. Not the one you'd like planned on or whatever, but this house right here. And then he says this in nine. And the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. And this place, this place, he says, right now, whatever your life looks like right now is the one he's going to to come to. And I love that verse nine says, you can always hope for something better. Yes, like greater I love that part. things are always coming. And I love the hint of second coming language that we read in 21 when he says, speak unto Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. Um, we'll read that language in Matthew, and we also see it in the Doctrine and Covenants that he's going to shake the heavens. Sometimes we think that's going to be an earthquake, right? The stars are going to um, fall. But I love how Haggai describes it. Um, he says this, he will overthrow the throne of kingdoms and destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them and the horses and their riders shall come down. I love that he's like, whatever is against you, the heavens will shake for your good and for my name's glory. That is what is going to happen at that time. And then I love when he says this, in that day, this is the very last verse of all of Haggai. And that day saith the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of, however you say that man's name, Shealtiel, saith the Lord, (laughs) and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. And when you think about that signet, um, sometimes that signifies in those days, this is something that we are both in love with. It would be a ring that you would wear. And then if you were going to send a decree out, you would seal it with hot wax and then you would take your ring and you would push it in the wax. And that was the signet or the signature or the seal that it really was from that person. And only the person wearing that ring could seal that decree, whatever it was. And I love that thought that um, you can write in your scriptures right there, um, I will make the you as a signet or as a seal. It's what you were talking about at the very beginning. That like, I will seal you mine. My name will be on you. Your name will actually be my name. That's what you will become because I have chosen you. And I just love the thought of when we go into the temple, when we decide to enter into a deeper covenant relationship, It's so that we may become his, um, but that we would become like him, that we would be the means of bringing healing and rescue and deliverance and all of those things that he is. He's going to refine us to be able to do that same work 
that he does through that relationship. And I love um, the thought of that. Yeah, if, and as we're going to get into Zerub, uh, Zechariah, who's going to talk about yes. two, of these, two of these people, because um, I, if you look back in Haggai 1 for just a second, you know, they're mentioned again in verse 12, Zerubbabel and, and Joshua, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God when he said, hey, consider your ways and begin to engage in relationship with God with more fervor and with more attention. And they actually heard it and they said, okay. Um, and it says, and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And they, they heard his words as if they were God's. And they said, okay, I'm going to do it. And, and, and verse 14, I love it, it says, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and stirred up the spirit of, of Joshua. And they came and did the work in the house of the Lord. And I love that thought of hearing the invitation and then deciding, okay, and then the Lord coming to stir up your spirit to the work. Yeah, you know? which we love. We love that thought of, um, it, it's like what a magic maker does. He stirs up um, what would empower or enlighten the soul. And Zechariah becomes actually the story of what Joshua and Zerubbabel will do. And it, it helps us if we understand Zechariah to even understand second coming scripture. And so maybe we just hop right into there and it'd be fun to introduce Joshua the way we are introduced to him, because maybe you think Joshua and Zerubbabel were like the best of the best, um, that they were like, well, those two people, of course, those two people would do it. But I love that, you know, how the Lord works, that he's like, uh, let me just look over and I think I'll start with you. And then he gives this description of what Joshua looks like on the day the Lord chooses him. Yeah, it's uh, in chapter three and right uh, of Zechariah. And in the beginning, it says, and he showed me Joshua, the high priest, right? Who's supposed to be, you know, the pinnacle of yeah. righteousness and whatever. And he says, and he was standing before the angel of the Lord. And then this is interesting. And it says, and Satan was standing at his right hand to resist him. That word Satan is a word that comes from a word that means accuser. In some translations, that's what it is. And, and I think I would, I, I would just be so bold as to say that if anyone decides that they do want to engage in the work of the Lord, they're going to immediately be accused by the adversary yeah. of where they're not good enough where they're falling short, why this is a bad idea, why they are a hypocrite, you know, you should, you know, clean up your life a little bit better before whatever. And, and he is standing there before the angel of the Lord. And also the accuser is there resisting the work that he's trying to do. And I love this in verse two, and the Lord said unto Satan, uh, the Lord rebuke thee, Satan. Um, even the Lord hath chosen Jerusalem to and rebuke you. And I love that that is a work of the Lord, you know, that he will rebuke the power of the adversary. He will rebuke the accusations um, that are made. Jesus does that out in the wilderness, right? He's like, I will remember what God yes. has said to me. And I love the thought that we need to remember to do that in our lives when we are embarking on something that is going to be powerful and that is going to be a great work for the Lord to anticipate that Satan might get in the way of that and not to be afraid. I love that before 
we learn anything else about Joshua, we learn that very first thing he was like, rebuke Satan from your midst. Your midst. That's what you're going to have to do yeah. if you're going to want to move forward. And to remember that, like, we learn about that in the house of the Lord. Yeah. We learn that we have that kind of power, but are we remembering to utilize it? Yeah. I remember um, being taught by by somebody when they came to do a training in our stake and some advice that he gave. He says, anytime you, because I was serving as a bishop at the time, and he says, anytime you, I, he said, anytime I would set someone apart as a bishop, as part of that blessing, I would always rebuke the power of mm, the adversary that's so awesome. from their life. And, and, it's, uh, and it's something that, unless compelled otherwise by the Spirit to do in any blessing that I give, it's included mm. in every one of those blessings. For my kids, when they start school or need one, whenever, whenever I was setting people apart, I always, um, I took that advice, and and it's something that I always did, and so this has such a meaning to me. I love this part too. Before we move on from it, that very last line of verse two, um, because he says this: "The Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee." And then I love when he says this, is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? And I want to think he's talking about Joshua in that moment. And you know what a brand is used for? We have a family ranch. And last year, all of our kids wanted to design what our brand would look like. And there's actually companies that specialize in like creating brands for you. And you will put it in the fire, and then when you take it out, you can mark um, like the um, wood up at the ranch. You can put that hot thing in the wood, and it will make a mark on that thing that is permanent. It's going to leave a mark there forever um, on wherever you put it. And don't you love that he's like, when he's like, is this not a brand set in the fire? I love that he's like, I'm about to use Joshua and he is going to leave a mark on this generation. Um, He's going to do something good. And I love the thought that that would be true for all of us, that he, if we wake up and Joshua's job was to rebuild and to gather, that's what Joshua and Zerubbabel are going to do. And um, I love Joshua um, was particularly going to be over the gathering. And I love that the Lord was like, he's actually going to leave a mark Mm. on this people because of the gathering that he will do. And I just, I think that's so amazing to have the Lord look at you and be like, I put you in this fire for a reason. And and it might feel hot right now. And it, it might feel like more than what you can handle, but you will leave a mark on this generation. And and when you were reading that verse, I thought it was so cool that uh, that he says, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem. If you looked at Jerusalem at that time, you would have said, you are not a qualified location to do anything yeah. good. It was broken down. There was nothing significant about it. It was in dire straits. And you would have looked at it and said, what qualification do you, Jerusalem, have to be a holy city or a place of gathering. And the Lord gives the answer in verse two, and it's because I picked it. Like that's its only needed qualification is I picked it. 
And Joshua will probably remember that in verse 3 because he looks down at his clothes and he's in filthy garments standing before the angel. And, and I, I, you know, I don't know if um, most little kids don't care about this, but when you get a little bit older, you kind of like care. I mean, if your clothes are dirty, you would care about that. And if Especially you're, if you were about to meet an angel. Exactly. Or like, you right? know, this is going to be like a significant moment in my life. Right. And he's looking and he's just like, oh. And, and he probably thinks to himself, like, look at me. I cannot, I can't make a mark. I can't do this. I, there's nothing about me that qualifies me for this work. And you just want him to remember verse two. And I was like, what qualifies you for this is that you made yourself available and the Lord picked you. And I love what happens right here. He stands there with filthy garments and the Lord comes and says to the angel, take away those filthy garments from him because I've caused thine iniquity to pass from thee and I will clothe thee in a change of of raiment and I will set a fair miter. It's a, a, a cap that the high priest would wear upon his head and I will clothe him in those those garments. And I love the symbolism of that. The word cover and to clothe are words that are synonymous in scripture with um, with atonement. They're synonymous with grace, being clothed mm-hmm. in something. They're synonymous with cleansing. They're synonymous with authority and calling, um, being clothed in something new. You were in these 30 garments and the Lord says, that's okay because I'm actually going to clothe you in something new different and, and you love new. that last line right there when it says and the angel of the lord stood by mm. and i just love the thought that there are as we go through this process of changing of being clothed that there are angels that will stand by and help us get through those times but this part also really makes me want to go back to elder bednar's talk where he spoke in such a powerful way about the garment. And I, I, it hints of it here and he hints of it there. And there are so many neat parts where he goes through and talks about actually putting on the holy garment of the Lord and what that looks like and how that will change us. And so that might be something that you would do when you're studying this Zechariah is go back into Elder Bednar's talk from this most recent general conference and spend some time learning about this clothing that takes place here because I feel like it's significant and important. And and there's a lot of uh, a great need I think to be reminded of that to participate in a ritual remembrance mm. of being clothed and and leaving holy places with that in mind that just like i'm it's not just me like what i can do with myself is not good enough we're going to see that in a in a chapter in just a second right and we'll look at that but but just that have that ritual remembrance of being clothed and being sent out into this world and i love to that imagery of we we can go into the temple and experience him there, that covenant relationship there. But I love that from the temple, we put on Jesus. We put on a reminder of that covenant relationship that we take with us everywhere we go. As, as many minutes of the day as we want that to be part 
of us, of the reminder of our relationship with him. And I love, for me, that symbolism is so important as I live my life, that being clothed by him and having that with me all of the time has become a really significant part of the way I live. And one other part of that, which I think is really sweet too, is it can become a reminder of the promised way of living, mm-hmm. the, the, the way of living that I promised to do, right? Yes. Where the Lord says, do you want to make a mark? Here's how. Live yes. in obedience. Live in sacrifice. Live the law of the gospel. Live in consecration. And verse 7 teaches us that. It says, thus saith the Lord of the hosts, if thou wilt walk in my ways, the ways I've showed you, and if you will keep the charges I gave you, he says, then also thou shalt judge my house and shall keep my courts. That's a way of saying like you'll have a mark on people. You'll have a, you'll make a difference in their lives. And then this promise, mm-hmm. and I will give you places out in the world to walk among these that stand by. And look at right? the footnote. If you look at the footnote of it, it means the heavenly messengers. The promise is, I will give you places to walk among heavenly messengers. Yeah, right? or among angels. Among angels. Yeah. You, and I love the promise of that. That, like, if you live up to that covenant relationship, then you you will be among angels. And I love that um, Joshua's call is going to be to gather the people. Zerubbabel's call is going to be to rebuild the temple. And you remember Nehemiah's call at the same time is going to be to rebuild the walls. So there's three people working. One will gather the people, one will rebuild the temple, one will rebuild the walls. And and I just love the spirit of that building that's taking place. But before we leave Joshua and go to Zerubbabel, should you read verse 10 uh, from the message? Yeah, of chapter 3, verse 10, because we love this so much. Or just paraphrase it. Yeah, verse 3, 9 and 10 just says this, essentially to Joshua. And the work that you're going to do will be the work of the Messiah. Like you are involved in the work of the restoration, right? Of all things, mm-hmm. right? And, and he compares them in verse eight to that, right? You're actually going to do that work. And, and the promise of the Messiah is that one day I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day, right? The work that you're going to do, like it will, it's going to lead to this great, like, restorative, all promises and yeah. everything restored. And then that verse 310 is pretty good in the King James, but it says this <laughs> in the message. And at that time, everyone will get along with one another with friendly visits across the fence and friendly visits on one another's porches. And just that looking forward to what that millennial day is going to look like, that the the work of gathering has that end result in mind. All the work of gathering means is to get to a verse 10 moment of everyone getting along. That's the definition of Zion, that there will be of one heart and one mind, or a cuter way of saying that is there will be friendly visits across the fence with your neighbor and friendly visits on each other's porches. That's so cute. Um, so then he's going to tell what Zerubbabel's job is going to be And he's going to, in chapter 4, verse 9, lay the foundation of this house. And his hand shall also finish it. And you will know 
that the Lord of hosts sent him to do that work. And then we love in verse 10 when it says, for who has despised the day of small things? Like this might be a small beginning. This laying the foundation might seem to you a small thing, but don't despise it. Like don't think this is not important or not a really big deal because something amazing will come from this. And I love when he says in verse 12, and this hints to the book of Revelation. Do you remember in the book of Revelation, it's in um, 11, where it talks about in Jerusalem, there will be two candlesticks. Um, And they talk about that they will be killed and lie dead for three days. These two prophets who will come and lie for three days and everybody will celebrate in the streets until they are resurrected again. And that... um, that revelation scripture is actually calling us back into, into Zechariah chapter 3 and 4 because it tells us right here, and I answered again and said, I'm in verse 12 of chapter 4, unto him, what be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the, go- the golden oil out of them, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? What will these be? And then he answers in verse 14, these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And the two anointed ones are Joshua and Zerubbabel. And their jobs as the anointed ones are to gather and to restore. That's their jobs. Um, And I love as we think about like end time prophecy, as we think about the second coming, and we think about these prophets that are called up, they're going to be called up to do the same thing, to gather and to restore. That's their calling. And they will do that, that work as hard as they can and for as long as they can. Um, but for that work to be completely finished, it will require Jesus to come back and finish it. And that's what Zechariah is going to teach us in the end. And I just want to say something about that verse 12 that I think is a really, really neat imagery because Zechariah has this dream and it's of this um, candlestick and the candlestick has a, a, a bowl above it and pipes that are leading down to like where the oil is kept. And so it's continually being refilled, mm-hmm. right? And at the beginning, he asks about, wait, what, what is, what's going on right there? And his, the answer was in verse 6, 1 through 5 is that vision of it. And he says, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The thing that's going to make this work is not your effort and not your power, although it's needed. You're, you're a co-creator yeah. with me, but you're going to keep being refilled by this oil, right? Yeah. And, in, and it hints of the same as the dews. Right. Of right. Carmel, yes, right? It's that yes. same thing that he's trying to teach you about the Spirit. That it's going to be by the Spirit that this great work will be accomplished. And I love that image of this bowl that just keeps refilling. Yes. You know, I hate at a restaurant when the waiter forgets to refill my glass. Yes. You know? yes. And so this idea of one that keeps refilling. But what's cool is then next to that bowl are these two olive trees which are the source, you know, of that oil too that's, that's coming, you know. And I love that he compares Zerubbabel and Joshua t- 
the both the candlesticks and the mm-hmm. and the trees and and there's something cool about that work of gathering and restoration is a call to all of us and the call that it is is to kind of breathe hope and life and spirit into other people like that is yes. one of the best ways to do that is to try and become a source you know yeah, and or what, the channel i guess yes. of life yes. and light and hope to people. Yep. And I love that he describes what that's going to look like in chapter eight. I love when he says, um, there's one, there's one part. Well, you love this one part. He talks about, this is what's going to happen. I will return to Zion and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem will be called the city of truth and the mountain of the Lord. And the old men and the old women will dwell in the streets of Jerusalem. And then in chapter 8, verse 5, And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I love that he's like, just imagine this, Zerubbabel. This is what I want you to imagine. This is what you are building right now. And then he says this in verse 9, So let your hands be strong that the temple might be built. And he tells him that again in verse 13. So will I say to you, and you will be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. And I just love the thought of that. And and as we wake up every day and um, someone asked me recently, like, what's your job? They asked me, what, <laughs> what is your job? What do you do? And I sat there for a minute and I was like, well, every day I just wake up and I pray, how can I help build the kingdom today? And then whatever inspiration comes, that's what I do. And what if we were all doing that every day? Just like, let, let your um, hands be strong in that work, in the building of the kingdom work. And then I love when it says this in verse 23. And I would say before you say that, every time you hear that phrase, please translate it in your mind. The prayer to help me build the kingdom, that word kingdom means people, mm. always. Like the work of building the kingdom is the work of gathering and strengthening and building And restoring people. and renewing right? people. Always, always. And, yep. and you ask yourself, how does the temple have to do with that? Two, one, that's a place where people will be built and restored and renewed. And that's a place where I will be instructed in how to better be a builder instructor, renewer, restorer. Yeah. I mean, that, so that's good. the central, that's why it keeps bringing it up is because the role it will play in doing the great yes. work of restoration. And I love that the reason why people will come is because they will say this in verse 23, we will go with you for we have heard that God is with you. And it makes me want to really like self-check myself and and think, am I representing in everything that I do and say and how I react to people and how I enter into relationships? When I leave, would people say, I think God is with her. I want that to be true of me. And I I want them to feel drawn to me because they think maybe God is with me. Could there be a greater compliment Mm. than that Mm. in a life? And what does that actually look like? And I love that that's why we'll gather people because they'll be like, let's go, let's go with them because God is with them. So let's go with them. I love that that would be a reason why someone would choose to actually be with you. And 
I love in verse 12 when it says, turn you to the stronghold. This is where it says, you prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double to the... That's chapter 9. In chapter 9. Um, and then, uh, should we go to 14? Yeah, right but now? first 9. One more thing in chapter 9, because I, I do love that this... I love that there's this promise, right? The two things are happening. One is we are being called to the work of gathering and restoration. And it's Jesus's work. And he's the one empowering us to do it. He's the reason that there's going to be, you know, mm-hmm. that the miracles are happening. We're actually gathering people to him. But then there's a promise in the book of Zechariah that, and then he will come. Yes. Um, he came once and then he is going to come again. And I just love his description in Zechariah 9 of his first coming where he just says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, meaning he will make everything right, and has salvation with him. And then it says, Lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon the colt the foal of an ass. And I just love that call back to like, despise not the small beginnings. Yes. You know, like, that the, this work of gathering and restoration that we are in part of, a part of, like there's this image of that Jesus, when he comes his first time, will do it from small beginnings. Mm. Like, like you would look at him and you would never have thought he could have had any sort of impact or the yeah. things that he's like, what, you healed a leper? You know what I mean? It's yes. like, what? I thought you were going to conquer a kingdom. Yes. And, and it just is encouraging I think to all of us who are engaging in that work, like if we asked ourselves, if I taught a lesson like this, I think I would ask myself, okay, then what small things can I do to Mm -hmm. build people? Yes. Right? That's how you engage in this. And I think it's important to remember too, I'm going to start at the end of chapter 13, um, that this work is not easy. And he doesn't say it will be easy either. And also this Entering into covenant relationship isn't always easy. You want to be like, well, if I just choose him, then everything should be fine. And I like that he reminds us there's going to only be a third part that is left after all of the scattering and everything that takes place. And in verse 9 of chapter 13, he says, I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. And I I do think it's important to remember there will be affliction and refining. And that taking his name upon us, I mean, you, you think about that brand pulled out of the fire, right? That there is going to be refining that takes place on this journey and we're going to all walk through that together. Mm -hmm. But I love how he describes the hope at the end. Um, As we get to the end of chapter 14 and he talks about that they're going to come in verse 16, everyone that is left of all the nations, they will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts and to keep the feast of the tabernacles, which you know we're super happy about because <laughs> we already do that right now. Um, who loves it for all of eternity? We're just going to sit in tents 
once a year. It, all well, together. it's just so awesome. That, like, remember, it was that the festival. Yeah, and it was the festival of in gathering, right? And the promise in sixteen. This is the second coming promise that the King will come, and the whole earth will get to join in this celebration all together. This celebration of in gathering, right, where everyone is welcome yeah. and. And remember, it's also a celebration to remember everything that the Lord has done. And it's so neat to think at the end day that we'll all gather everyone together with yes. the king. Yes. And we'll recall all that happened. I mean, I mean, 14 starts with battle words, right? And it comes back to what you said. Like, it will be a fight. It will be a yes. battle. It says houses will be rifled. It says that in the very beginning of this chapter. It's like, it will like be, ugh, Right? Until, and, and it says, but then, but then, on that day, that day will come when the king yes. will, will show up, you know. And I know which verse is your favorite, um, but you start looking before you get to that one, and it says, um, but it shall be, verse 7, one day, which shall be known unto the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass, in the evening time it shall be light, which is kind of cool. There's that Book of Mormon, yes. when the sun goes yes. down, it will still be light. And on that day, living waters will go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, other half toward the hinder sea, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day, shall there be one Lord in his name, one. That yes. call to like yep. unity, unity and over the fence and on the porches. And these are great, great second coming um, imagery that's that's in here. And um, And then your favorite verse I already know is 20. I know, do want- <laughs> I do. I love 20 so much. I was like, is he going to get my favorite part? I know, I, was, I leave it for you. Listen, I love this part so this much. This is the Disneyland verse it for sure. It is the sure. Disneyland verse. In that day, shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. Don't you just love that just as the horses go down the street, they're just clip-clopping around, and on all their bells, you hear them coming. It's just happy. It is the sound of festival and rejoicing in Christmas, right? Right. And on every bell is written holiness to the Lord. I need to get myself a bell uh, <laughs> that says holiness to the Lord engraved on it. And um, and then I love when it says this, in every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them that seethe therein. And in that day, there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. This verse is actually super important. And it's one of my favorite parts of Zechariah because in Jerusalem, they would have known when they did the sacrifices, the people who ate of the sacrifice, only the priests could eat of the sacrifice. That was true. So it's really weird when it says in here, every pot in Jerusalem, and then it, it wants to talk about, and all they that sacrifice shall come and take. And if that, for that to be true, it means everyone has to be a priest or a priestess mm. who is there. Every person would have to be a priest or a priestess. And don't you love that he's like, this is what I will make you to become. You will become a priest and a priestess. You, you will get all that I have everything, every, you will come and take. That's what will happen. And where we started out with that feeling empty or not fulfilled, I love that what he wants to end with is, oh, just come and take. 
That's what I want you to do. What does it mean to be a priest and a priestess? Like, what are we growing up into? It's just someone who can partake fully of everything God has to offer. And what a beautiful promise. And they also, priests and priestesses, were people who connected others with God. And it shows, again, that the call and the mm. work that we're, that we're called to. And I love just ending this lesson thinking about two things. One, the hope and the promises of what are to come. But second, what is the work in the meantime? What can I engage yes. in in the meantime? And one day the whole earth will be a temple. That's what's happening. When the horses have holiness to the Lord on them, it means and all the, the pots. Right, it means you're living in holiness. In holiness. Everybody is. It's Zion. It's been, it's happened. It's created. But it happens like one small foundation stone at a time. And like we don't just wait for God to come and wave his magic wand, but we actually get to engage in that in these small but really significant ways. Like mm -hmm. I just think when he says despise not the small beginnings, like I imagine like a, a man who's like lost his job and lost hope and doesn't know what to do and someone else who comes in and helps him refine work and, and refine dignity again. I would never call that a small thing. It's not something I'd ever despise. And, and it's just this, any work of restoration, any work of, mm. of gathering in, any work of connecting people with heaven and with God again is wildly significant yes. and needed. And, and his, his work. It's his, and we're called to it. Yes, so good. This is a great chapter. Whoever has a baby this week should name them Haggai. <laughs> okay, see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.